Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Some of them got killed or injured. I saw them and they had key in their neck and a spoon in their pocket. So the key was for um, the, the instill for the paradise door gate and the, the, the spoon is to have lunch with their prophet Muhammad. You're listening to War College, a weekly podcast that brings you the stories from behind the front lines. Here are your hosts, Matthew Galt and Jason Fields. Hello and welcome to War College. I'm Jason Fields. And I'm Matthew Galt. Fighting in Syria appears to have reached a new phase. And it's a dangerous one. Russia, Turkey, the Kurds, and Assad Syrians are fighting. And oh yeah, U.S. troops are there too. In a recent incident, forces backed by Russia struck a base where American soldiers were acting as advisors. And there are still Islamic State fighters on the ground. Sounds like a recipe for world war. So, what's happening? Joey Lawrence and Jan Echizador are here to help us get a grip on the situation. Jan has worked as a translator, journalist, and fixer in the region. Lawrence has been in and out of the region working as a photographer and journalist. Glad you guys could join us. Thank you. It's nice to be with you guys. Thank you. Can we just start off by asking what the hell is going on in Syria right now? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I ask myself the same question every day. Um, Basically, the most recent development is uh, the Turkish invasion of the region known as Afrin. And uh, this is the first time that uh, Turkey has openly invaded the region with their own forces, uh, fighting alongside some uh, former rebels and jihadists and other mercenaries that they've um, paid from refugee camps in Turkey. And they're openly fighting against the SDF and YPG forces, which is the majority Kurdish group in uh, northern Syria, which are backed by the Americans. So it's a new development of the war, a new layer of uh, complexity. And uh, once again, it's the civilians on the ground who are suffering. And to, to make perfectly clear to the audience, uh, Turkey, NATO member, ostensibly an American ally, and a long um, and unpleasant history with the Kurds, correct? Yeah, I'll let Jan speak on that. Jan's from uh, Afrin, and uh, he's uh, has a family on the ground of exactly where the Turks are invading now, and he's in touch with them and uh, 
can speak on that as a Kurd, obviously way better than I can. I'm not going to talk about the history here because um, it's a long history uh, when from hundreds of years Turks are persecuting Kurds and uh, committing massacres in many Kurdish cities. But uh, I can talk about the what happened from the, the beginning of civil war in Syria. If, um, Turkey interfered in Syrian uh, problem issue since the beginning and that was because of the Kurds. Turkey, as we know, has, that everyone know, has more than 25 million Kurds inside Turkish border and um, there are the other Kurds, especially Rojava or uh, Syrian Kurds, are alongside the Turkish border. Turkey, uh, since the beginning, is doing its best to prevent Kurds to achieve anything uh, on the ground. And since six years, uh, Turkey is using mercenaries and jihadists, including ISIS and Al-Qaeda affiliated um, groups on the ground to attack Kurds and uh, what is going on now in Afrin is Turkey for the first time interfered directly with uh, its army and um, uh, fascist uh, volunteers uh, to attack uh, the civilians, Kurdish civilians on the ground and that is, be that, that is happening because Turkey couldn't achieve anything until now. It did everything um, didn't achieve anything on the ground. So do we think that this is about them taking and holding Afrin? Like breaking off that piece of Syria for themselves? Or is this purely about the Kurds? It's, uh, it's about the Kurds. Uh, Turkey said it, the Turkish Prime Minister and Turkish President uh, said it many times, especially these two weeks. Uh, they said it openly that they don't have anything to do in Syria. Uh, they don't have any advantages in, in, in Syria, Idlib or Aleppo or Afrin. And the thing that uh, they are doing now is to stop Kurds, Kurds to um, achieve their goals in the region. They said it openly. Yeah, I think in the beginning of the war, Turkey's, uh, Turkey had two main goals inside Syria. The first would probably be regime change and supporting the rebels to overthrow the Assad regime. And the second, or let's say the equal goal, would be to crush uh, Kurdish aspirations within Syria for uh, self-determination because it, of course, as you mentioned, Matthew, uh, relates directly to the Kurds on their own soil and any uh, success or any uh, rights inside Syrian Kurdistan could directly bleed over into Turkish Kurdistan. And as Jan mentioned, this is a conflict that's been going on for a very long time. But I think as the war has evolved and the war has changed and um, the regime is winning the war and the rebels are uh, at an all-time uh, level of weakness, you can see Turkey starting to use all those old FSA groups that used to fight the regime, make deals uh, with the Russians and other superpowers and sort of move them around the country for their own national goals, meaning Turkey's national goals instead of uh, the Syrian revolution and uh, basically using these old rebel groups now as mercenaries to stop the Kurds by any means necessary. And you can see them being moved from places inside Turkey, but also other areas of Syria to fight uh, YPG directly. 
and they're sort of acting as the, as the cannon fodder, uh, let's say like the ground force or infantry, and it's the Turkish army that's using their sophisticated weapons and the military technology um, and obviously leading the offensive themselves. But the ground troops are these uh, Syrian rebels to give it a sort of a Syrian revolutionary veneer. But in the end, of, it has really nothing to do with the original goals of the revolution that started in 2011. So this leaves sort of an odd situation. I mean, the whole thing's an odd situation. But in this case, we're talking about two different groups that were trained and also armed by the United States are fighting against each other, right? I mean, the Free Syrian Army and the Kurds at different times, at least, were backed by the U.S. Yes, you could definitely say that. But you also have to be careful that not all FSA groups are one sort of uh, entity. These are basically a hodgepodge of different militias ranging from hardcore Islamists to more nationally focused, at least in the beginning. Um, but certainly the extremists uh, took over the power in the first couple years of the war, at least in my view. So it's not like the Free Syrian Army was ever a unified force and when America trained one specific group, they all benefited from it. But there are certainly rebels that have American training uh, that are among the Turks that are now fighting the American trained or backed uh, SDF and YPG. But the distinction is, is, is if you look at a map of uh, the areas of control in Syria, uh, we can say there's three different um, cantons that the SDF controls. The two in the east of the country, which is uh, Kobani and Jazeera, those are under the Americans' protection now, and that's sort of like the anti-ISIS coalition you hear so much about. But Afrin, which is uh, not connected to those by land, it's in the west, uh, northwest of the country, that one has been isolated and under siege basically for the entire war. It's been very stable, but it's had front lines against uh, the al-Nusra Front and FSA and as well as the regime. So the Americans, um, at least until this point, despite some strong words, strongly, strongly, strongly discouraging the Turks from doing this, aren't really stepping in uh, to intervene. And it, basically it's uh, SDF and YPG on the ground fighting against the second largest army in NATO. I would add something. Uh, those groups on the ground are, most of them are not trained by USA or the coalition, uh, especially the leading groups or the biggest groups in this invasion. In Afrin, for example, we have Ahrar al-Sham, which is never being trained by uh, the coalition. Also, we have uh, Al-Nusra, which is Al-Qaeda-affiliated group in Syria, never trained by uh, coalition. We have Turkestani Isla Islamic Party, which is uh, mainly Uyghur from China. Uh, Turkey trained them itself. And also we have Samarkand. It's also tur mostly Turkmen. Faylaq uh, al many, many groups. We have also Ahrar al-Sharqiya, which is a big group and it's an Al-Qaeda affiliated now uh, attacking and invading Afrin. Uh, so most of the groups, uh, the leading groups in this invasion, never trained by the coalition. And those who trained by the coalition uh, are now weak and the coalition knows, knows it. All right. And where's Russia in all of this? Or are they not in Afrin at all? Or are they just watching? Yeah. Now, Russia used to be in Afrin uh, with uh, small groups. Uh, 
since SDF and YPG asked the coalition and led by USA to to go to Afrin to help them there also to be existed there, they, the coalition refused many times because uh, they use um, they they keep saying until now that they they are interested in East Euphrates, not West Euphrates, and since Afrin is in West Euphrates, so they didn't go there. So uh, SDF um, tried to stabilize the, the situation because Afrin has been completely surrounded uh, by its enemies, let's say, because um, one side is the regime, as uh, Joy said, and the other side is Al-Qaeda affiliated and some small groups of FSA and Turkey. So uh, these two groups of Russian troops uh, uh, used to be in Afrin, but before the, the attack, uh, uh, they decided to leave Afrin, and that was because uh, they officially asked the SDF and YPG and Afrin administration to to accept Syrian regime again uh, to be in Afrin and to send uh, their troops or to accept their troops in Afrin, while YPG, SDF and the and Afrin administration refused it. So Russia wanted to bring Afrin into Syrian control or the regime control again and SDF refused that so uh, Russia withdrew from the region and until now is unfortunately let's say all the, the most of the, the powers uh, watching Afrin, watching what is going on, watching that civilians being killed every day and this is part of the politics in the region. Yeah, I think um, just to add to Jan's point, uh, what he was saying is that if the Russians are propping up the regime and backing the Syrian government, of course, they've been going through negotiations to try to bring uh, YPG and SDF uh, back under the control of the Syrian government. Um, and, you know, there's some regions where they share resources and they sort of have a pact of neutrality in a lot of places. It doesn't mean that they see eye to eye. There's been a lot of hostilities and clashes during the war. But for the most part, both the Syrian government and SDF fear the, hand, fear the country falling into the hands of jihadists. So now if Afrin was under the protection of the Russians... Uh, and they suddenly leave, there's a lot of people, myself included, that think that they're trying to bring uh, YPG and SDF back uh, into the arms of the Syrian government in a like sort of sick and twisted way of saying, like, look, you need us here, you need our air force, and without us, the Turks are going to bleed you, so if you don't like this negotiation and this deal falls apart, this is what's going to happen. So it's a sort of a cruel method of uh, getting SDF to negotiate on uh, more worse terms because at the same time, SDF and the other parts of the country are becoming very strong because of the American project there. And it is one sort of irony that the other cantons or the other regions in the east are really powerful because there is ISIS there. Meanwhile, Afrin managed to keep ISIS out for the entire war. And the irony is now that they don't have American backing because of that, the Americans sort of spared the Al-Nusra the Al front, which is Al-Qaeda, during the war because a lot of people think, and again, myself included, they're putting pressure on the regime. So now it's sort of left isolated and uh, under siege. So are U.S. forces actually in this same region right now? 
No, but at, but they are in a city called Manbij, which uh, the Turkish president has been threatening openly in many, many different speeches, saying that after Afrin, they're going to go after Manbij, and um, there's a heavy buildup uh, U.S. presence there. But maybe Jan can speak to more of exactly what Erdogan was saying. Manbij is uh, not too far from Afrin. Um... The, the the territory between Membej and Afrin is also occupied by uh, Turkey and its affiliated jihadists, it's Jarablus and uh, Albar. So uh, now Turkey is saying that we are going not only to Membej, we are going alongside to the border, to the, the Iraqi border, which means the entire northern Syria, which is Rojava. So uh, Turkey will not stop in in, in Afrin, I think, if they could uh, if it invade it completely. Um, and American also American troops or the the coalition representative in in the region said it two days ago that they will not accept any Turkish invasion or attack on Membij. So that could actually put two NATO allies at each other's throats. Oh yes, yeah, certainly. With the Russians watching. Yeah, exactly. Do you know if there's anything going on to try to prevent this from happening? Or is it all on the battlefield? Uh, actually, uh, now the, the, the focus is on Afrin. If uh, Turkey succeeds in, in invading Afrin and killing, massacring people there without, with, with all what is happening and the, the world is silent on the other side, uh, maybe they they will go to to Mumbai and other other places also, and they may, maybe will be clashes also in all over Syria, and the problem will be bigger in in Syria because it's, it will be more complex. Because now in Afrin, the, the Turkey openly use the jihadists, uh, former ISIS members, uh, Al Qaeda, to kill people, to destroy the houses. For example, now. Uh, nobody is talking about the, 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 what is going in Afrin. The, Turkey is bombing and shelling all the facilities on the ground. They, they are shelling and bombing bakeries, uh, schools, uh, um, water stations, power stations, everything on the ground, and buildings, civilians' houses. So um, if it goes like this, I think Turkey will go to, to other places also. Yeah, and a lot of the American uh, statements coming out, you can see what they're trying to do is make a distinction between Afrin, SDF, and the SDF that they support. And they're saying, you know, oh, we don't have any op operations there because it doesn't relate to the fight against ISIS. You know, the way they rationalize their presence inside of Syria, of course, is under uh, counterterrorism fighting ISIS. But if you actually look at what's actually happening, is those SDF recruits that are in the other cantons, in the other region, they're just taking a regime road from one area of control to the other and fighting Turkey there. So for the Americans to say that, oh, this force has nothing to do with the people that we trained is not really helpful uh, to any side, really. How united are the Kurds right now? I think uh, from my perspective at looking at things, uh, my own perspective is that even Kurds who weren't pro-YPG or pro-this-revolutionary uh, uh, ideology, maybe they were skeptical before or supported other political groups, uh, Afrin has sort of been a rallying call, I think, for a lot of Kurds, and I've seen a lot of friends of mine become increasingly uh, 
uh, like nationalistic and pro-Kurd because they see this sort of Turkish invasion as a reiteration of what's happened through history. So although even Kurds might not support the political party in power there, they see this incursion as uh, directly against Kurds as people. Um, and it's very similar to what we saw in uh, Kobani at the end of 2014, when sort of all Kurds were sort of uh, united under a uh, common uh, common battle uh, against a common enemy, let's say. Um, I think that's what's happening in Afrin. But of course, the Iraqi Kurds, and there's a lot of different political movements uh, across Kurdistan. But in Syrian Kurdistan, especially Afrin, it was very much under sort of uh, Abdullah Ocalan thought way before the war. I mean, maybe Jan can talk about it because he grew up there, but Afrin Canton has been like this, uh, not, as a, not as a cause and effect from the Syrian war, uh, but actually way before that. So I think there's a lot of mobilization of uh, civilians, of uh, village guards, uh, protesters, and as well as the YPG and SDF armies themselves fighting. Ocalan, if I'm remembering right, he led a group of people who are socialists, right? I mean, and uh, I mean, not religious, very secular, in fact. I, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, um, Ojalan thought is um, nowadays, let's say, because now Ojalan thought is based on mainly based on a democratic confederalism, which is uh, which is based on a woman right, woman rights, ecology, and. Um, let's say uh, democratic so socialism something like that if you, if it is correct in english the the the, the thought is based on uh, democracy and uh, afrin the entire rojava especially afrin is uh, too much under the influence of that thought and you can see uh, women or the society in afrin is more uh, open um, you can find any religious uh, parties, political parties or groups or, or associations in Afrin. Uh, this is because of that thought. People are very secular there. And this is actually, you can see in the videos released by the jihadists who are attacking Afrin. They are uh, saying we are attacking and we are going to kill the pigs in, and unbelievers in Afrin the Kurds there because they are unbelievers, they are pigs, they are drinking, they, they drink alcohol, etc. All this stuff. So, yes, the, the, the thought, as I said, is based on women's rights, ecology and uh, democracy. Yeah, and, and Abdullah Ojalan is the founder of the, of the PKK, which, which is the uh, insurgent group inside Turkey. And it's these groups inside Syria that follow the writings and the ideology of Ojalan. And basically, when the Syrian government retreated uh, earlier in the war from these areas, facing both the rebellion and jihadist insurgency, it was those PKK cadres that were either from Syria before that moved, or uh, that um, took advantage of the power vacuum to train these uh, and uh, organize these local forces. So the reason why Turkey invades is they see this sort of movement as just the same enemy that they've been fighting since uh, 1984, uh, which is a sort of PKK movement. But of course, the reality is a lot more complicated than that when this ideology is sort of uh, being conflated with just being the exact same founding group of 1978, when really it's more of a 
sort of a mindset and a movement that creeps into all areas of societies, not just a military wing. All right, War College listeners, we are going to pause there for a brief word from our sponsors. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back. You are listening to War College. I am Matthew Galt. I'm here with Jason Fields, and we are talking about Turkey's recent incursion into Syria. What's the Islamic State activity like? And I'm wondering if at this point, do you draw much of a distinction between the different groups that are kind of driven by a religious ideology? Or do you just kind of see them all as kind of in the same bucket? I think the videos that are being released now from Afrin really remind me of watching videos in 2012, 2013 in the Syrian civil war when nobody really knew what ISIS was. Like when you watch these videos of, uh, you know, them uh, mutilating corpses, singing like jihadi songs, praising uh, uh, the Taliban and Al-Qaeda and stuff like that. It reminds me of that time when like people were like, who are these like radicals that are mixed in with the rebels? And since that time, obviously, the the rebels have become so weakened that they're just more of a veneer or... Um, let's say powerless to actually influence the course of war inside Syria and are kind of like on alongside of these better equipped, uh, better trained, more organized, uh, seemingly less corrupt, even locally uh, extremist groups. So like this is a personal opinion. Of course, there's differences between the different extremist groups, but I think they all kind of have the exact same end goal. But the way that they look to achieve those is more like tactics and strategy. And those those differ. But in terms of the ideology and what they hope to achieve, when I look at these these videos and what's going on, to me, it looks honestly no, 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 no different from ISIS, but maybe under the, a different control of um, of a different leader who has a similar mind. So I, I think it's sort of like reductive and it sounds like, you know, you're the Assad regime saying like, oh, all opposition to us is ISIS. Like, that's not true. But at least this like jihadi mindset, what I really fear is, and I think this is why uh, maybe the American military should take an interest in Afrin, is this could literally become a breeding ground of Al-Qaeda 
as just south of Afrin actually is in Idlib. Even Brett McGurk, who is the uh, uh, presidential advisor to, uh, to co uh, coalition against ISIS, admitted that Idlib province, which is under the Turkish protectorate now, is a breeding ground for Al-Qaeda. So to me, there's uh, honestly not much difference and we shouldn't really be obsessed with like this fancy name that, you know, ISIS happened to release, you know, more flashy and better videos than the other groups. Really, in the Syrian war, there's dozens of groups that have the exact same ideology of, as ISIS and a lot of them are fighting in Afrin right now. Yeah, yeah I, I would add, add something. Um, the, now, the, the groups who are invading Afrin are extremists and we, you can so in, in the, you can see that in the videos released by them but south of Afrin, Afrin is uh, there are many towns in Afrin my town is called Jendres so south of Afrin is south of my town south of Afrin is completely under the control of Al Nusra which is officially uh, Al-Qaeda branch in, in, in Syria also uh, in 2012 uh, when they when they were attacking Afrin for the first time. I was there watching what is going, what was going on and uh, when they, some of them got killed or injured, I saw them and they had key in their neck and a spoon in their pocket. So the key was for um, the, the, the still for the paradise door, gate, and the, the spoon is to have lunch with their prophet Muhammad. So uh, this is what is going on now also. They're attacking from south of Afrin, west of it, and, and north of it. All these groups together are Al-Qaeda affiliated or ex Islamist extremist jihadists in, in Syria. And Turkey now, everyone knows that Turkey is using them because they want to kill, when they kill civilians, uh, 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 they, they sing songs like what Joyce said, uh, Turkey can say, I, I don't know, there are groups of FSA and we don't know them exactly, but they use them to kill people, to, to, to destroy houses, to, to kill children on the ground. And, and now, now, tonight, let's say, most thousands of families are living in the basements and in the caves in Afrin. Uh, thousands of families, thousands of children, they run out of food, run out of, of, of uh, food, uh, water and, and uh, other facilities. Who is responsible for all these, uh, all what is going on? Nobody is talking about that. So I think it's very, very, very dangerous to not break the silence in the world. Otherwise, in future, every, everyone would say that uh, there was massacring, massacre going on in Afrin and the jihadists were attacking, killing people, but nobody, nobody said something about that. Yeah, and I think for now, like the goals of that specific jihad might be nationalist focus on Syria only. But you have to remember that ISIS was also a splinter from the Al Nusra Front, and they're just a breakaway group that then uh, sort of like uh, publicly uh, were very loud about their globalist jihad goals and the terrorist activities in the West and things like that. So just allowing it to become a breeding ground for this kind of mindset we might not see the effects of it in europe or the west now but i think in the years to come there's really no indication that another like radical even more radical splinter could break off and uh 
become empowered from this uh, power vacuum that has emerged in that region of Syria. Well, thank you guys for taking us through that. It sounds like a really complex situation, and um, it sounds terrible. Do you have any sense of where the battle's going, who's winning? Uh, Jan, maybe you can talk about um, what what your what your family's what your family's saying there. Yeah, um, actually, the, the main problem. Yeah, yeah. Now, the the, the main problem in in Afrin invasion is the the jets aircrafts. Turkey uses F sixteen, F seventeen, and uh, heavy uh, cannons. But the main problem is jets and aircrafts in Afrin. Otherwise, all people especially the fighters and all people always uh, say that we will defend our region, we will defend our region against the jihadists and al-Qaeda and we will never let them to, to slash our children, to, to behead our brothers and sisters. Uh, all of them are ready to defend and sacrifice themselves to protect their children and their families on the front lines. And, uh, and, and there is, until now, uh, the resistance is, 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 I mean, they, they resist, they resist a lot. But the main problem again is the, the, the aircraft and the jets because they are bombing the front lines and most of the bombings are under or the, 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 the front line, which means it, this, the, today, for example, they bombed some villages and towns which are 10 to 20 kilometers far from the, the, the front line. They killed and injured a lot of uh, children and women, civilians. Otherwise, the, the Kurds will never let those jihadists and Turkey to invade their region and to, to and kill their uh, families. Yeah, I think a military victory for Turkey is inevitable just because of uh, the superior technology and, as Jan mentioned, the jets. But the thing is, is what a lot of people... Um, are asking themselves is does Turkey really want to occupy Afrin and even if they took control of the major city centers which I think they eventually could I, I, mean, I mean these are people fighting with uh, stockpiles of anti-tank weapons and AK-47s against like I said the second most powerful NATO army does Turkey really want to occupy a place where they're gonna face a Kurdish insurgency basically forever, the same insurgency that they've been unable to stop uh, since 1984 inside Turkey. Do they really want to occupy that or do they just want to sort of pressure Afrin uh, or isolate it, let's say, to weaken it? Nobody actually knows what their goals are because uh, the loud Turkish rhetoric never actually matches their moves on the ground. And it's hard to say um, what they actually hope to achieve with this. And there's even supporters of rebels inside Syria who are totally against this offensive because as uh, these groups are moved from other areas of Syria, of course the regime advances on those rebel-held areas. Um, so it seems like a sort of a sorting out of powers and Turkey's making deals with the Syrian government and the Russians. And um, sort of like when Aleppo fell... Uh, a lot of people say it was Turkey making a deal to move uh, those groups out of Aleppo and insert them into Euphrates Shield, and eventually the Syrian government uh, takes advantage. So again, I think Turkey's uh, goals have shifted from regime change to now just stopping Kurds, and because of that, the 
the regime is advancing. So I think that's sort of how all the sides are seeing this. They're sort of finding a common cause against uh, the Kurds of Afrin. The situation in, on the ground is a catastrophe. It's a terrible situation. Um, as I said, tens of thousands of children are li now live in the, living in the, under the ground, basements and caves. The temperature is minus three and four during the night. Nobody can provide YPG and uh, YPJ and other um, associations in Africa try to provide food and water. But since two days, especially these two days, because of the heavy shelling and bombing, nobody can reach them in the caves and, and basements. So um, yes, Turkey yesterday, especially yesterday, they. Uh, destroyed all the cell uh, powers, uh, the towers, sorry. They destroyed the towers in Afrin, around Afrin. So there, there is no internet now in Afrin. It's rarely you can find internet and uh, no phones. Um, what can I say? It's, uh, it's unbelievable to, to see all of what is going on on the ground and jihadists uh, releasing videos how they enter the villages and torturing people, killing people and uh, as they are in... Um, nobody, nobody is talking about that, especially the, the, the media in the world. Um, yeah, Joy, it's... Um, what I can say, the, the situation is terrible, really terrible. The, um, on the medicine, there is a lack of medicine. Uh, there is only one hospital, big hospital. It's not that big, but it's the biggest hospital in Afrin. And uh, yesterday also they released a statement and said that we can't treat all these injured people and uh, we can't reach many places because of the bombardment and uh, shellings. I think another interesting point that's unrelated as well is the um, the videos featuring um, YPG and YPJ firing uh, uh, anti-tank weapons, ATGMs, and um, I think these weapons were stockpiled during the war, and a lot of people thought that YPG did not have heavy weapons, but they are either... Um, busted in smuggling rings that were going elsewhere from Turkey to the rebels and the YPG stopped the uh, armed uh, convoys or they were, uh, uh, let's say, smuggled from other areas or purchased on the black market. And we're seeing a lot of interesting videos of uh, YPG using uh, anti-tank weapons to fight against uh, the the Turks. And because of those weapons, they've suffered a lot of casualties, but they've actually been able to hold and defend areas better than anyone thought they were able to. And it's a mystery if um, there'll be some nations, let's say superpowers, that have an interest in leaking SDF or YPG heavy weapons to sort of bleed the Turks um, in, in Afrin, Canton, and if uh, anyone will step in and sort of uh, see that as a convenient uh, bloody mess to further their own goals. Yeah, that's another irony is uh, on Twitter and stuff, pe people are saying, look at YPG using American heavy weapons against Turkey. Meanwhile, those are the weapons that Turkey sent to the rebels. <laughs> so the whole, the whole war is uh, very, very confusing and hard to understand, but at least that's what's happening now. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's this conflict in a nutshell. Thank you again both for coming on. Really appreciate it. 
Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for uh, thanks for having us. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for this week. Thank you so much, War College listeners. War College is me, Matthew Galt, and Jason, Jason Fields. If you like the show, please like and subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. We just might read it on the air. We tweet at war underscore college, and you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash war college podcast. We will see you next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.